Welcome to a Couch Divided podcast where secular psychology meets a Christian worldview with Dr. Robin Hall and Nick Thomas. All right, Nick, sit back and relax. And if you can't, we need to talk about that. <laughs> Prepare to be couched. Welcome to a Couch Divided podcast with Nick Thomas and Dr. Robin Hall. Dr. Robin Hall. <laughs> you know what? I, I You're such a good friend of mine. Uh-huh. When I say doctor, yeah. it sounds like, I don't know, it's like, you're. It's I know you as Robin. Right, right, right. Yes. <laughs> but Dr. Hall. And when I look at you, in, in, when I look at you as Dr. Robin Hall, I automatically in, uh, am in submissive form. Oh, my gosh. But then there's still this parallel, you know, and it's like. <laughs> But that's Robin, you know. What do you mean? Submit? I've eaten I've eaten Hawaiian barbecue with Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I would never eat Hawaiian barbecue with my doctor. <laughs> but I look at you because you have all this knowledge and you have all this experience and everything. And I go, no, you actually, you know, you're a doctor. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I I, I love it. And, well, and that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. I've I haven't actually. There's a few, I have a few close friends who were with me through the like the entire experience of um well college graduate school all like all of it um and I wonder now that you're bringing this up how their experience of me evolved through that process oh yeah or if it changed you know my guess is if I were to ask my best friend in the whole world um she it probably doesn't even occur to her right a lot of the time um like she'll it's probably something she remembers that i like did you know oh yeah it's like uh you know i'll hear interviews with like uh you know my favorite podcaster and he'll interview like a guy like will ferrell sure and people could be intimidated uh because it's will ferrell right he's this high celebrity now he's a funny guy and you may have a joy in conversation but then his end result would goes but he's just a guy. I don't know why I looked at him like this and I was nervous around him. He's just a dude uh, kind of thing. And so, you know, because of the title, sometimes we go, but I'm glad I got to know you as Robin first and then doctor second, because if you were my doctor first and then Robin second, (laughs) well, yeah, we, this would be a totally different relationship, right right place, right time. Yeah. And it Um, was through your husband. Yeah, that's right. Right. God orchestrates. You You remember that conversation on the couch? Which one? Well, uh, before this podcast started, we started talking about behavioral health and psychology and these guys, and then that's kind of where the idea generated from. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I have been like nursing, if that's the right word to use, nurturing um, like this seed for a very long time, wanting to do this, Uh, but I I knew, I also knew I wanted a co-host and I wasn't sure 
who nobody had like up until that point at least jumped out as oh yeah like that's the person that's the person right and then as like we met and as I started to get to know you and talk with you more it just became kind of abundantly clear like this is your co-host. So. Sweet. <laughs> so yeah. that's God's providence. And right. I remember that night we even we were talking about pedo and infant baptism. Yeah, I remember And I don't that. know how we got into psychology with that. But uh, <laughs> uh, but hey, I mean, we did. And we're here. And now we're doing part two on PTSD. So we have good memories and experiences <laughs> that allow us to propagate something joyful. Sure. But then some, some experiences actually uh, hinder us from even moving forward or scar us. Well, so. right. Yeah. So um, trauma. Trauma, trauma, trauma. See that segue? Went natural. Trauma. No, yeah, I was like, where? How? Leaping. Okay, but yes, you are right. We are doing our, um, welcome back to our second part on post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, We hope that you got a lot out of the first episode. It was really fun to record. Um, And this is, trauma specifically is my... um, Oh, I was going to say my love child, but that's not really what I mean. It's your main Mo. <laughs> Mo. My bae. Um, are they even using that one anymore? I don't uh, know. I, I don't know. I hear a, a lot of people say it, so I think you're relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Since I stopped practicing, I don't see any like teenagers anymore, any adolescents, and they were like keeping me yeah. up to date on the, all the current I'd, slang. I'd really like to interview you and your experience of, of counseling adolescents and teenagers. Oh my gosh, they're the best. I bet, yeah. Teenagers are so much fun. Um, Do they tend to listen more? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, so so I'm not their parent. Yeah. Okay. So they'll listen. Yeah. Right. Um, they get to co- like come talk to me for an hour about whatever they want. Yeah. Right? I mean, how freedom. Yeah. How awesome is that? Yeah. Um, and my experience has been that t- typically even teenagers that are going through really hard stuff. Right. Um, are not so cynical yet. They haven't been so like hardened mm. by their experience in life um, that they actually want your advice. Mm -hmm. They ask for it and then they go and take it and try and apply it. I think this Um, is why, you know, Christ says, you know, I have a childlike faith kind of thing mm -hmm. that we hear all the time. You know, we receive the kingdom like one of these little ones. Yeah. Uh, One who is needy for an authority figure, kind of like a parent. Right. And that's why we call God Father, Abba. Right. So, you know, Teenagers are kind of typecast, like stereotyped as being like unmanageable, like really emotional, overdramatic, sensitive. Mm. Um, and there's definitely some truth to that. But part of it, part of it is hormonal, right? I mean, I'm like that. Another part of it is that we are not born with the capacity to identify and regulate, at least in a conscious way, our emotional experience. Mm. So we're trying to work that out during adolescence, right? right? Like I just graduated from throwing fits and tantrums when I didn't get my way to now I'm supposed to like deal with disappointment, frustration and anger in a more socioproductive way. It's it's, it's a natural, you know, structure to to have to work things out, especially when something is new or you're not sure uh, what's inside of you. Same thing in Christianity, too, as well. There's a reason why Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sure. You go to the truth, you work it out. When you first become uh, a Christian, we use the term baby Christian. I hate that term. I don't see um, that uh, that term uh, used in the Bible, but there is a categorical distinction between drinking milk and eating meat kind of thing. And he says to work out your salvation. 
conversation with fear and trembling. And that can be very hard for the Christian. That's why we have to be discipled. That's mm-hmm. why we have to be counseled. That's why we go to our authority figures that we submit to pastors and things like that. Sure. And uh, I think it's the same way in um, in uh, uh, in personal development as well. Mm-hmm. You know, even biological development or a normal structure of life. We combine these things with uh, salvation. Then teenagers and children should be the first ones that we're going to, which is why <laughs> older people say uh, need to um, be more invested, uh, more invested in the younger generation. Well, so. right. So I mean, there are, anybody that works with adolescents knows that one of the there are drawbacks and part of that is you're no matter what you do you're working within a system and Mm. very frequently that system is broken um family system right Right. um a lot of i mean if there's been trouble juvenile systems court systems that kind of thing right so that can be very frustrating and daunting Mm. um but the like working with the kids themselves i was surprised at how enjoyable i found that Oh, wow. So I haven't, like I said, I'm not practicing, but. Did you get any parents that were jealous of you? Jealous? <laughs> yeah, because they, the, their children wouldn't listen to them, but for some reason they're listening to you kind of thing. Um, I never had that sentiment uh, reported to me by anybody. Um, yeah. Most, my experience was that most of the time, like, parents just were really like grateful that their kids had a place to come right and Hmm. like unload and learn coping mechanisms skills and stuff like that um so if there was any jealousy ever uh, over that it was never ever directed at you no yeah that's interesting Uh, i've never even really consider I don't know that. why I went there. I mean, we, we think about the responsibilities of the parents and maybe this is another topic for another time kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the parents should be the ones that the kids go to, but we often don't kind of thing. Well, and there's, know. okay, so there's also like absolutely nothing wrong with like feeling like you are, um, like you could benefit from like the help and support sure, of yeah. some, like somebody who has been educated around right. certain things, right? Right. Um, so yeah, you know, they're in a in a perfect world like the therapist gets to educate the child and mm. the family. Mm. And you see systemic change growth in everyone. Hence Dr. World. Robin Hall. <laughs> um yeah. So anyway, so like that's kind of off topic, but um post traumatic stress disorder, so we spent time in the first episode going over the stress response, the physiology, mm-hmm. right? Kind um, of the difference between trauma and post-traumatic distress disorder. Well, so we haven't spent a ton of time talking about that. But yes, so we did talk about this idea that in order for an event to be considered traumatic, um, it has to meet diagnostic criteria right. for trauma. Mm. Um, so I, we mentioned before, this is by no means an exhaustive, um, look at trauma. Hmm. Um, and I think I also mentioned, we recorded the first episode a week ago, so I can't remember for sure, but I think I also mentioned that I don't think this, um, definition is inclusive enough. Right. Um, but it has definitely gotten better in the most recent revision of the diagnostic manual so we're going to go through the criteria um in just a minute and then 
along the way, I hope I can give some examples of what this actually looks like. Hmm. Um, and any of you guys that know somebody who's suffering from post-traumatic stress um, or po- full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder um, or has, you know, in the in the past, hmm. um, will definitely be able to relate to this. I'm I'm guessing that most people will at least be able to relate to a symptom or two, right? right. Um, even if their only experience of it was during something that was really, really right. scary um, or right after, hmm. you know? So, um, yeah. Anyway, we'll just jump right on it. And then hopefully, Nick, you can give us some um, insight into how we look at this from a biblical From scripture, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, okay, so in order to diagnose post-traumatic stress disorder, it has to be established that you experienced what we call a traumatic stressor event. Right. Okay, so the DSM outlines the specific criteria f- that must be met in order for an event to be considered traumatic. Okay, so that means that if you have had an experience that you feel is traumatic. Right. But it does not meet this criteria. Hmm. You cannot be given a diagnosis of right. post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, uh, we even talked about in the last episode not to uh, to use these words sure. uh, superfluously, uh, so, you know, because it deviates from the actual sure um, diagnostic criteria. Right, so. and I think so. And like at the to play the devil's advocate in the other direction, unfortunately, that means. In my opinion, there are some people that get missed, right? Mm-hmm. There are certain people who oh, yeah. are manifesting, you know, would meet the full criteria otherwise. Right. But because their experience doesn't specifically meet the what we qu- qualify as a traumatic stressor event, mm-hmm. PTSD is not the diagnosis that's made. Right. So um, in order for an event to be considered traumatic, okay, um, the following i hate like i feel so weird like reading from stuff the following colon. the following um <laughs> this episode has been brought to you by the following <clears throat> okay criteria. so um exposure to actual or threatened death mm-hmm. serious injury or sexual violence in one or more of the four following ways mm. okay one directly experiencing the trauma Two, witnessing in person the events as it occurred to others. Okay. Okay. Three, learning that the traumatic events occurred to a close family member or friend. And I think we talked about in the last episode, too, like it needs to be unexpected. There, the caveat for this one is that it, mm. um, the death is unexpected, not um, or accidental. So like the example we used was uh, like a veteran or a service member that deploys but before they leave home, like they know grandpa has cancer, mm. right? And then he deploys and grandpa dies while he's on deployment. Mm. That doesn't constitute trauma. Right. Okay. If uh, your sister dies in a car accident, mm-hmm. which is a, like unpredictable, right? That is considered traumatic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then uh, the fourth caveat is for vicarious traumatization. So mm-hmm. experiencing repeated or extreme exposure to adverse details of traumatic events. So this is first responders, trauma therapists, cops, homicide detectives, that kind of stuff. Right. Anybody that's interfacing with trauma on a regular basis 
um, can develop symptoms of post-traumatic stress right. disorder. Okay. So, um, directly experiencing the trauma, that means being involved in whatever right. event, right? Simple enough. Witnessing yeah. in person the events as they occurred to, to others. Um, yeah. One of the things that I think of that I think illustrates this, the distinction here really well is I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Nick, um, on September 11th when watching that second plane hit and then as like they weren't editing footage at that point right news footage um and then you could actually see for a while the people that were jumping from the building right Mm -hmm. so i remember watching that happen and thinking like (laughs) you actually saw the second plane hit i saw the second plane hit and then i remember watching these people jump from from the the wreckage right of the towers yeah i i i didn't see it live i mean i watched enough of the replays that they showed throughout the day which was the same as just even viewing it live well so so that's actually my point so me seeing it on tv Mm -hmm. doesn't qualify even though that was it was i mean i don't it was jarring, yeah. right? I don't know if I even considered it traumatic. I don't know that I actually really understood the like, right. full weight of what I was watching in the moment. Um, so that's different than somebody who was on the street in New York City that day, mm-hmm. right? Maybe not close enough to be in like sh- a shrapnel path, but saw the same thing I did, only they saw it in person, right? Mm-hmm. Um no, so uh, that that's the distinction. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. As it occurred to others in UC, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, at least witnessing two in person. So in person is part of the requirement. Right. Right. Um. Again, so like I said, that I don't believe that this definition is is it's not exhaustive, and I don't believe that it's in, like it incorporates enough. I I believe that we're missing. The elements like the abstract trauma of moral injury. Hmm. So, um, but you know that's that's a discussion too for another time. Oh yeah, I'm um, already the wheels are already turning in my head. What the what else that you could put in there? Yeah, and I I believe that would be a great topic. Right. Um, okay, so I hope that's clear. Um, this really matters in like. I'm always going to go back. I use my military guys and girls because I'm so familiar with their experience um, and like how this plays out with the VA and getting disability, Mm. especially as a combat veteran. Um, It isn't enough that you deploy, right? Mm -hmm. If you deploy and you experience something that doesn't meet this diagnostic criteria, even if you're experiencing post-traumatic stress symptoms, you won't be diagnosed with PTSD and that impacts your benefits through the mm. VA. So um, I, I kind of I use a lot of examples anyway from mm. the military. So, um, OK, so that's criterion A for post-traumatic stress disorder. It's just a definition of trauma. You mm. have to establish that an event that meets this criteria took place in order to diagnose right. PTSD. Um, the rest of the criterion are about symptoms. Okay. So mm-hmm. we divide symptoms in post-traumatic stress disorder into four categories. Right. So the first group of symptoms are, um, re-experiencing symptoms. Okay. okay. So I'm, I'm kind of making that category or using that term on my own for that category. Um, 
So this is any symptom that causes you to relive or re-experience aspects of the trauma. Mm -hmm. Okay. So panic attacks in response to trauma cues. Mm -hmm. That's a symptom here. Um, like so intense psychological or physiological arousal in the presence of trauma cues when mm -hmm. presented with trauma cues right so that's panic anxiety when you see anything that even remotely reminds you of the traumatic stressor event right okay um the actually the first symptom that's housed underneath this group um are intrusive thoughts intrusive memories do you have any idea what that means <laughs> i've lived intrusive <laughs> with intrusive thoughts uh things that are coming into your mind let's just use a pragmatic term that might make you cringe or fearful yes yes yes, yes that's yeah. perfect um so these are very uninvited thoughts yes. they're unwanted so the example i always give for my own life um typically like you're minding your own business right mm -hmm. you're not thinking about your traumatic stress because it's a Wednesday and you're driving, right? And then all of a sudden, without warning, a thought, like an image will flash. Mm -hmm. A thought will occur. And my desire to like, to get rid of the thought is so intense that I will physically shake my head to try and oh, yeah. loose the thought. Okay, so this is not just having a bad thought, all right? These thoughts invade your space yes. and they don't go away. Hate them. Right, the, on their own. Like you could, I mean, be in there banging a drum to try and drown it out. And until it dissipates on its own, it's not going anywhere. We actually posted a meme on our Instagram that was similar to the uh, what we're talking about right now. And uh, on the first half of it, it says, my brain recording my good memories. And it's somebody writing those good memories in sand. But then it says, my brain recording my cringe memories. And it's somebody etching words in stone with a, uh, with a hammer and chisel. Yikes. And those cringe uh, memories tend to stay there, yeah. uh, you know, like etched in stone. They're there. Yeah. They're intrusive. But the good memories can be washed away from, you know, the uh, the water. They that have comes to be conjured. Shore. Right. Yeah. To use yeah. a loaded word. Right. Yeah. You got to go looking for them um, like, I, a lot I, of the time. Like we, we mentioned that in the beginning of the podcast, the good memory that we had. We're talking on the couch about this podcast. But I don't think about that all the time. But I, I my cringe memories come up a lot. Oh, yeah. Frequently. Fre quite frequently. <laughs> the ew, ew, David. Um, we live in a fallen world and I see fallen things. Right. Okay, so intrusive thoughts um, and uh, the other intrusion symptom that the DSM lists under the second criterion is mm -hmm. um, recurrent distressing dreams in which the content and or um, affect of the dream are related to the traumatic event nightmares baby um i don't know how many of you guys have experience with nightmares my guess is a lot i personally have a very vivid nightscape especially mm. when um uh during certain seasons like if i'm processing something extra heavy or mm. under a lot of stress right um i definitely work out a lot of that in my dreams mm. Or, or torture myself is probably the better way. Oh, yeah. So um, this people with post-traumatic stress disorder are going to dream about their trauma. Yeah. They they are, mm -hmm. right? Um, the degree to which those dreams are present and crippling varies, but mm -hmm. you're going to dream about it. I think of the um, 
I, I always go back to this verse, and I think of Isaiah in the presence of Christ. Uh, and he says that he was in the presence of Christ, and he was a man of unclean lips. Yeah. So when you're in the presence of a holy God, you realize your sin. And then the burning coal was placed on his lips. You know, and, and My conversion was so powerful that I realized all my sin. And when I would have a thought about the past or even a dream about that, I would get those intrusive cringe memories. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't call it traumatic. Again, I don't want to use these words, but I had more intrusive thoughts inside of Christ that I had to work out through the process of sanctification than I ever did outside of it, mm -hmm. which I am joyful for that because I know that he's purging sin out of me. Mm -hmm. And before, well, you know, so part of that is that you yeah. like while you were in like the throes of your addiction, mm -hmm. you were being behaviorally avoidant, chemically avoidant of, of like anything painful. Right. So once you stopped using those chemical avoiders, yes, like you were saved. Yeah. It, you now had to deal with the repercussion of all right. of that. So, you know, it can. F this is actually quite common, and we see like delayed onset a mm. lot in post-traumatic stress disorder, especially in. Um, I I've seen it frequently in Vietnam era veterans. Part of it is like they a lot of them came home and distracted themselves they got really busy and mm. did very were successful mm -hmm. right and then they retire and all of a sudden this thing they haven't thought about in 40 years they're now dreaming about again uh. um so we get really good at compartmentalizing and shutting things down mm. but the truth is that it doesn't go anywhere yeah right um so yeah so intrusion symptoms like i said i kind of group all of these together as re-experiencing symptoms um, but the DSM uh, separates it out into intrusion symptoms. Mm -hmm. So um, you have to have one or more of you either have to have both intrusive thoughts and nightmares or one or the other. Okay. okay. Dissociative reactions. Um, so you've heard of flashbacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what's your understanding of a flashback? You know what? My understanding probably doesn't qualify as a real flashback as I've, uh, like I'm experiencing again. The, the flashbacks or deja vu feelings that I would have, but not really no. experiencing the trauma. So so a flashback yeah. is different yeah. than being very, very triggered, right? And I Yeah, think, and that's what I mean by I flashback. Think some yeah. people confuse that. Yeah. A flashback is a fully dissociative experience. And what mm -hmm. that means is you are one moment operating in your reality mm -hmm. and the reality shared by other people around you. Mm -hmm. And the next moment you are back in the middle of your traumatic right. stressor event or in the environment of, right? Like, uh, like back a, in the jungle. Yeah, back in the jungle under a table looking right. for Charlie. Back in the desert, kind of right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, back in a convoy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so this is so powerful and real. You smell the smells you remember smelling. Mm. You like it be like you can have fully hallucinatory experiences as part of this, right? Mm -hmm. You are one moment connected with your reality, like true reality, and the next minute not. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very, very scary, right? Um, and depending on what you're doing, potentially pretty dangerous, mm. right? Um, actually, I think there's like a Criminal Minds episode or something where some veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder 
starts mowing people down like and they portray it that he's in the middle of a flashback Mm. that I'm not talking about dangerous in that way. I more mean dangerous for like the safety and welfare of the person experiencing it. Mm. Right. Not that it couldn't become dangerous if you were driving, Um, you know, as an example. Um, Okay, so um, dissociative reactions occur across a spectrum okay all symptoms do so if you start when you think about symptoms if you start conceptualizing in that way it's helpful Mm -hmm. right so you've got poles you've got one end of the spectrum where it's mild really like it's just it's not that difficult to contend with it's present Mm -hmm. right but it's manageable Mm -hmm. and then the other end you've got like the full-blown meltdown right exactly so um We've got other dissociative responses, so that primarily manifest as uh, what we call depersonalization and derealization. We'll do episodes on dissociation because it's really fascinating. Um, so, just like basic understanding, this is this is feeling out of body or disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling as though like the environment around you is not real mm-hmm. like you're watching the movie of somebody else's life mm-hmm. yeah. um so deep personalization is like functions to disconnect you mm-hmm. right personally from what's happening on derealization makes it feel dreamlike right. so i'm lots of you have probably gone in and out of a dissociative response at some point in your yeah. life and can relate to that experience of kind of feeling out of body like checked out right mm-hmm. So that's like an inborn biological defense mechanism that we have to mm-hmm. protect us when we're right. in a like potentially traumatizing circumstances. Right. Um, I like how you use that word "protect" too, as well. Yeah, that because that's a, that's what it is. The yeah. the idea is is if I'm not so closely connected to what's happening, it won't impact me as badly. Right. Fortunately, that's not accurate at all. But um, in fact, it can it can make it so much worse. Oh yeah. Um, but. But it is extremely beneficial in that I think it softens, even if we don't feel like it is, hindsight provides that uh, Can kind of understanding you... understanding that like it it really did act as kind of a cushion while we were processing yeah, it something. Yeah, keeps you from self-destructing. Yeah. yeah. Or it, it can, you know. Um, we Okay, so we already talked about the uh, panic or panic attacks, really extreme anxiety right. um, in response to uh, exposure to trauma cues and that can be internal or external so you could have an intrusive thought and be cued into panic right Mm -hmm. um or you could be driving down the road um here in in arizona and phoenix uh some of our uh, like major loops like freeways um go through deserts that looks really similar to desert where our guys and girls were deployed as part of oef and oif so Mm -hmm. seeing trash on the side of the road is one that i heard very frequently can be extremely triggering um just as an example right because a lot of time that's where um ieds were hidden right um okay so we've got our panic psychological distress and physiological response right to trauma cues Our next uh, group of symptoms um, is small, but it's, in my opinion, it's the most detrimental piece of post-traumatic stress disorder because 
it's like functions to keep the disorder stuck. Right. Okay. Um, and that's avoidance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So persistence, persistent avoidance of stimuli associated with the traumatic events um, beginning after the trauma. So there's all the, there's caveats about you can't have been experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder before the trauma. Go figure. Um, anyway, so this is any effort at all to avoid internal or external reminders of the traumatic stressor event. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this manifests in literally every way possible. Like any addiction, substance abuse, uh, food, video games, sex, um, anything that helps distract you from focusing on right. details of the trauma. Um, if you were in a car accident, not driving or getting into a vehicle. Um, if you were... Uh, let's say you survived an active shooter situation you now you're not going to go to a mall like ever again mm-hmm. right so it manifests you avoid you can avoid internal memories thoughts feelings about the trauma mm-hmm. and you can avoid external mm-hmm. reminders right um avoiding restaurants is big one a lot of my vietnam era guys couldn't eat any type of asian cooking for years and years and years Ooh. after returning from Vietnam. Just Part- even the smell of that. Right. Would, yeah. Right. And remember, we talked about olfaction being our most, like, sensitive cue. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so avoidance is the next category. The third um, is negative alterations in mood and cogni- cognition. Okay. So that's a really fancy way of saying uh, negative changes in mood and thought. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Um, again, it's got to be related to the trauma. If you were already, if you were already like feeling really horribly depressed, um, you weren't feeling horribly depressed about the trauma before the trauma happened. So, um, beginning or worsening after the trauma. Um, so in order for the diagnosis to be made, you have to have, uh, at least two of the following. Okay. In this category. Um, inability to remember an important aspect of the traumatic events, and this is typically due to dissociative amnesia and not other factors like head injury or alcohol use. Right. So if you dissociate during a trauma, mm-hmm. it's called peritraumatic dissociation. Mm-hmm. And the risk that you are going to go on to experience longer lasting symptoms of post-traumatic stress increase tremendously as your experience of peritraumatic dissociation does okay which makes sense if you think about like you're the more dissociative you become is in response to the more like the level of trauma that mm-hmm. you are currently enduring right. right um so when you are in dissociative states you aren't making memories in the same way that you are otherwise you're hmm. not encoding into memory that's part of the protection, right? That it's you're almost... supposed to be granted with dissociation. That disconnection keeps you from encoding and processing memory in the way that you normally do. So basically you would have a kind of a, an amnesia kind of like you symptom can. afterwards. Like yeah. not really, you don't really remember okay. a lot or you vaguely remember it's very yeah. cloudy or smoky. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, per, the second symptom under this category is persistent and an exaggerated negative beliefs or expectations about oneself, others, or the world. So hmm. thoughts like, I am bad, no one can be trusted, the world is totally dangerous, hmm. um, my whole body is like permanently ruined. This happens a lot with you know people who've been injured, mm-hmm. right? Um, the third symptom, persistent distorted cognitions about the cause or consequences of the traumatic event that lead the person to blame himself or herself. So this is um, like coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? Yeah, like if right. I ha- just hadn't done this or if I just had done this, like then this would have turned out differently, right? right? Um, and part of it is that we want to be able to identify someone or something to blame it feels good to do that and if there isn't another option readily available that can turn inward mm-hmm. right right um and then sometimes it is your fault i mean let's just be realistic like there are definitely circumstances where you were an active participant in what happened yes <clears throat> um Persistent negative emotional state. So this is, you know, walking around constantly angry or shame, like shame filled um, or, you know, guilt ridden, like Mm -hmm. chronic negative emotional states. Markedly diminished interest or participation in significant activities. So isolation Mm. and withdrawal. Um, Six, feelings of detachment or estrangement from others. And that can be a product of the isolation and withdrawal. It can also be a product of the dissociation especially if you're doing it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then seven, persistent inability to experience positive emotions, right? So inability to feel happy or joy or satisfied or contentedness. Um, and it, it really, like, it's so heartbreaking, especially when you're in Christ because you understand, like, the potential for fullness of joy, mm-hmm. right? Um, but... That, that is definitely a, a part of the, like, affect blunting right. that can happen in post-traumatic stress. Um, okay, so our last category of symptoms are hyperarousal symptoms or arousal symptoms. Um, marked alterations in arousal and reactivity associated with the trauma. Mm-hmm. So you have to have two or more of the following, okay? So these are some of the more um, observable I mean, you can like if somebody's having a panic attack in, you know, an open space, you can see that. But right. these, this is more observable, um, more observable behavior. So, irritable behavior um, and angry outbursts with little to little or no provocation. Mm-hmm. So, typically expresses verbal or physical aggression towards people or objects, right? right. Like throwing things. This is like the reaction doesn't match doesn't match it at all. Yes. Right. I rage because whatever for, like um you moved the mail to yeah. a different place yeah. and didn't tell me yeah. um to reckless or self-destructive behavior so impulsive behavior um i mean i could give like a whole list of examples but reckless self-destructive behavior drug use um like engaging in uh sexual exploits mm-hmm. um I mean, this is kind of like cliche, but like adrenaline chasing Hmm. type activities, you know, like (laughs) all of you skydivers out there, no hate, but like jumping from a plane with a parachute on your back. 
Um, jealous. I consider it reckless. I know there are a lot of people that don't. So anyway, hypervigilance. Okay, so this is needing to sit with your back to the wall so that you can see the exits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting up in the middle of the night and securing the perimeter of your house, making sure all the doors and windows are locked, even though you did that before you laid down because right. you wouldn't have been able to lay down unless you had done it. Um, or going out in the backyard and walking the fence, like literally securing the perimeter. Um, that was uh, it was such a weird part of uh, my grandfather who recently passed away was suffering dementia, Alzheimer's and stage really. Yeah. And that would always be his response to something when he would get into this uh, elusive state. It was there's cops outside. We need to secure the parameters mm-hmm. or somebody sneaking around or, you know, how long have you been in here? Do they know that you're in here? It was always that. And I don't know why, but he was in Korea and he was in the war. And I don't know if that was a natural response or just how he grew up. But he was not like that guy at all when he was in his lucid state. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I can only imagine that, like, being in that other state of mind would be very scary. And so if, you know, he was afraid manifesting any kind of ideation that would like keep him safe potentially could could be happening right 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 right. um yeah and like who knows exactly what was being yeah i would remembered yeah i wouldn't i mean sometimes it was memories i i believe that he was having other times we realized he fell asleep with the news on oh yeah yeah (laughs) and that was you know intruding in his dreams kind of thing like that but then he would have both of those moments where TV's not on. And yeah. all of a sudden he's trying to lock down the doors right. and, and uh, you know, and uh, tell us to get safe. Right. So, yeah. I don't know all the like neurology behind that. Yeah. It would be interesting to look at but, it. But uh, no, ignoring brain function, I go, man, what you're describing here is similar, you know, similar oh, yeah. to, uh, yes. to that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, exaggerated startle response. Okay, so this is the car door slams too loudly or you're not expecting it and you jump, you start um, mm-hmm. during with jump scares in mm-hmm. cheesy horror flicks, right? That's yeah. a startle response, mm-hmm. right? Um, so this is over, like it's an overreaction, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're standing at a hotel bar and like there are people around, but somebody walks up behind you, like gently touches your shoulder and you still <gasps> gasp, right? You're describing my reality right off of uh, drugs. I was so sensitive to mm-hmm. sounds. Anybody that would touch me from yeah. behind, I uh, that was predicated upon paranoia that everybody was after me. It was a totally different kind of category, but man. Yes. <coughs> oh, no. Hypervigilance, hyperarousal yeah. is a huge part of stimulant use. Yeah. So it's yeah. not it's not different. Yeah. It is that. Yeah, it is um, that, yeah. Problems with concentration. So this can be like a difficulty focusing uh, because you're constantly scanning your environment, mm. taking stock, or it can be hyper focused, mm. right? Like being unable to move away from mm. like an idea, thought, project, whatever yeah. it might be. Um, and then sleep disturbance. So, for example, difficulty falling or staying asleep or re- very restless sleep. Mm-hmm. Um so and then the rest of the criterion are uh like time specifiers. So you need to have had the symptoms required for at least a month in order for this diagnosis to be made, right? Mm, yes. Um, and then there's a bunch of different specifiers that you make, like with or without dissociative symptoms, what specifically, you know, is going on. Um, and then we didn't talk about any of this, but there are a lot of differences um, 
in the way some of these symptoms manifest in kiddos and adolescents. So uh-huh. everything that we talked about was is very specific to adults. Um, a lot of kids who are experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, um, it manifests in like, uh, you know, other ways, other like venues like play, you know, that adults aren't necessarily engaging in. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, maybe we'll do one like another episode where we focus on very interested in kids. I'm very interested in that. That's why I asked you about that in the beginning of the podcast, how, you know, the, the parent, the parental dynamics, what you had to do with, did they listen kind of thing is very interesting to me. But then also when they suffer trauma and uh, their experiences in development through that, um, I believe that's why we really should invest in the younger generation as adults um, uh, even more so. Um, because now we know the scientists, you know, the science behind, you know, brain development and trauma. Well, we know a lot more, right? We know a lot more and we're researching, you know, we're doing research all the time. And it's almost uh, on a grand scale. Everybody is in agreement that there is such thing as trauma. Mm -hmm. It does affect you. Right. And there are things that you can do. Yeah. This one isn't one of the more dispute. PTSD isn't that disputed anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, there's it's actually there's actually a lot of really interesting history that we can do an episode on in the future. Um, and it's weird and we, how it's I, how it's evolved as a concept. Um, yeah, exactly, and it's weird because out of all the mental health uh, disorders, this is one that's probably widely known. Uh, more so than sure. any others besides depressions and Pe- things yeah, like that. Yeah, people know the acronyms. Yeah, they yeah. know the acronyms. We use the term loosely. It's mm-hmm. becoming a catch-all for things that are, you know, that don't qualify right. for, for PT- uh, PTSD. This is how much that we actually are involved with it. But then also, it it's one, I mentioned this in the first podcast, that is very near and dear to my heart. Not from an experiential uh, standpoint, though I did suffer a lot of traumas. I don't think in a disordered fashion. But a lot of traumas. But then I know a lot of people uh, as mm-hmm. well. And I know the mental, uh, I know what it means to be mentally unstable mm-hmm. and to, to react from that and to remember that. It really just, it does scar me and make me, uh, make my heart break uh, for uh, a person that's suffering. That yeah. Is. More so than any other uh, mental health d- uh, disease. I don't know why, but it's kind well, of you near rela- and dear I think you probably relate to the symptoms. Yeah, I'm able yeah. to relate a little bit mm-hmm. more. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> I'm I have a very soft spot for military. My uh, grandfather um, retired a lieutenant colonel in the army and he was my absolute favorite person Mm -hmm. in all the world. Um, So I've always had just a a soft spot for the armed forces, the the people who make up Mm -hmm. our armed forces and how they're treated Mm -hmm. and um mistreated mm-hmm. um honored and dishonored and right. um so it, yeah it's the, in that way that the military population is very very near and dear to my heart right um and like you know even if i didn't have a personal connection um th- literally our armed forces are why we enjoy the freedom in this country that we do mm-hmm. right not this necessarily this generation um I'm although we totality of everything i'm talking about yeah. the totality like it is our armed forces mm-hmm. it is our like military um actions right that ultimately separated us from tyranny mm-hmm. and then have protected us right throughout our history as a country and that is a good point you know 
God gives us uh, a government. Uh, God does give us a military uh, to defend ourselves. Now, they're supposed to defend us against unrighteousness and be the sword for righteousness. Yes. Uh, and against wickedness uh, when operated the right way. Absolutely. You know, these are the men and women that are uh, here defending us. Right. And I think that we see a lot of examples even throughout American history of that being the case. Uh, so to have the military near and dear to your heart as somebody that you need to take care of, is, I think, is highly biblical mm-hmm. when, in, in that regard. Now, there right. are some instances when we see our government do things that they're not supposed to do and then are actively putting the people that all, all would defend us in, in trouble. Um, and it's unneeded, but that's another topic, another yeah. category. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, we love our service members, active duty service members and veterans. Um, and we appreciate you, you know. Yeah, we do. Yeah. In a way that. I have a military family and there's been yeah. a lot of people in the military. A lot of the Your listeners brother. do. My brother, my yep. grandfather, my uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, almost a glorious send off uh, during my grandfather's wake. You know, mm-hmm. they did the folding of the flag and the taps and. My uncle, boom, saluted right there. And so did my brother, who's freshly just retired after Ugh, 20 years the in the feels. Air Force. Yeah. yeah. 20 years in the Air Force. That's not. I remember him going uh, through that and him thinking, OK, it's go- only going to be four years. OK, right. now six years. Yeah. And then after we got to like eight years, he goes, I'm just doing it. If I do 10 years, then I'd be cutting my pension in half. I'm just going to stay. Yeah, and then he say. did. He, it's he, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. If you can do it. Yeah. Not everyone can. Right. But if you can do right. it, do it. He stuck it out. He met a family or he got a family out of it. And uh, he's, he's better for it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm glad that he went down that route. Right. He struggled a lot, met Christ through that process. And right now, you know, he's a family guy. So, so OK. Um, biblical, biblical implications here. I think it's super important that somebody who is struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder um, understands that part of what's keeping those symptoms in place Mm -hmm. is biological. It's physiological. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you have to push and fight through that. It makes the struggle worse, but it's just, it's just part of the, Mm -hmm. Part of the picture, it's true. We don't have to like it, but it's there whether we want it to be or not, right? Um, the, the, it, don't be beating yourself up because you've decided this is a matter of willpower. Yeah. Okay? Because you got not, enough things beating you up it's already. It's not, yeah. right? Um, and I, it's important for the people around them to remember that too, okay? Right. So, like, getting frustrated is normal, Right. Right. Um, being exhausted, like managing all of it mm. of like or avoid depending on what stage you are in, like addressing what's happening of like avoiding it takes a lot of energy. Addressing it takes a lot of energy. Right. right? So um, anybody that like knows someone or who is personally suffering from this understands just how debilitating it is. Right. I, I, it can I mean, it can stop everything from yeah. happening. We talk about the concept of beating yourself up, especially because of some certain symptoms that you're having, like fatigue, right? Let's just take fatigue. Fatigue, yeah. yeah. When you are fatigued, you can't do something. And life requires you to do things. And so you're almost you're bringing the double guilt onto yourself because you know that you're fatigued and you can't do these things. Society or life may require you to do those things, and then all of a sudden you're in self-destructive mode, mm-hmm. and you beat yourself up. Because well, of like these now things. I've failed at another another thing. I, yes, you know, like because of this, <laughs> I can't do this, mm-hmm. and sometimes you feel defeated, mm-hmm. very much so, and it can be feel extremely defeating. It's, it's but that's the beauty of Christ, right? Yes. 
we are more than conquerors through him who first conquered. Amen. Like Amen. this, that, that's, I think, the, an important thing to remember. No matter what this feels like, no matter the level of severity that you are currently coping with, mm-hmm. this has, battle, it wasn't yours to begin with, right? The battle is not yours, but mm-hmm. God's, right? And it's already won, mm-hmm. right? We can look to that and know with hope and assurance mm-hmm. that we're going to get pulled through this. Right. Now, does that mean that you're going to forget what happened in your trauma mm-hmm. and that it'll never impact you ever no. again? Absolutely not. And we were just talking about <clears throat> this before the podcast. We yeah. had a conversation and we're like, listen, you know, Christianity never wants you to be ignorant about your suffering no. or wants you to ignore it and try to put on this whack smile like everything is fine. No, no, no. Christianity yeah. actually gives us you don't embrace it well and it yeah. gives meaning to it yeah. there's actual purpose behind suffering um from a biblical worldview yeah. right we use that and so let's segue into the biblical application mm-hmm. like we've been doing we've used the word quite frequently in this episode working things out mm-hmm. and yes you do have to work out your suffering uh along with your salvation i mean it seems like a heavy load so we need to go to the promises of Christ mm-hmm. at, in order to biblically assess our, our day-to-day lives with this kind of ailment. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to first start with the character of God. Let's start with Christ. He says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. He's the way of life, the truth about life, and then emphatically life himself. And that nobody comes to the Father but by him. That is one of the things that you need to start off with. Mm-hmm. It will also help your responses into knowing what is true when you enter into intrusive thoughts, self-defeating mm. attitudes, whatever like that, based off of your past and fears of the future. Um, that is one thing that ob- uh, that mitigated a lot of my hypervigilance. I remember this and 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 i want to tell this story for a reason and then show god's sanctification through that attribute of truth right after drug addiction is like almost right after three months of rehab i went to a secular rehab it's another topic another story but i am sitting in my backyard crying just crying because of intrusive uh, intrusive thoughts i didn't understand what intrusive thoughts are i didn't even think they were normal we talk about feeling guilty for uh, a fatigue i was feeling guilty because i was having thoughts about drugs and sex and all these things and i I didn't want them which testified to one thing i hated it right but then also i had to battle the biological responses from it Mm -hmm. and i'm sitting there crying because i feel just like isaiah like a man of unclean lips and i know who jesus is and i'm still having these things right oh my goodness, it was defeating me. A lot of people enter into to relapse at that moment. And the mercies of Christ were great on there because I remembered who he was and I knew that he was the truth. But then my father comes out and, and uh, in the backyard, he was just going to say something to me, like take out the trash or whatever like mm-hmm. that. And he comes out and he goes, whoa, what's wrong? Right. And he sits down. He didn't say much other than, it's going to you're all right. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're three months off of this. It, yeah. It's fine. And he kind of, calmed me down a little bit Mm -hmm. now that kept happening repetitively and almost forced me to do this i need to know the truth about these things Mm -hmm. should i be having these thoughts are these thoughts sinful um is it because of sin and it was all of the above but then as i started pursuing the promises of christ the blood-bought promises of christ inside of the new covenant i was able to enter into a stable environment and it took a lot of work Mm -hmm. it took 
couple years. You mean you you were able to stabilize like your internal environment. Exactly. Even if I was feeling these things thereafter. You you were able to identify it as a feeling and not like a fact or truth, right? Instead of interpreting my reality based off of how I was feeling, I was interpreting my reality based off of who Christ is, the way, the truth, the life. And these promises right that everything is working towards my good that though i am feeling these things it's not who i am and and a lot of categories i've succeeded in some categories in my life yeah i have to go in back and be sanctified through this so i can totally uh, mitigate these responses right and i think i'm glad you bring that up because it that's that is what it looks like it's messy we kind of want Very progress messy. through these things to be really linear and stepwise progress yeah that isn't how this looks right Um, And so if I adjust my expectation that, yeah, like I'm going to get to the summit of this mountain I'm climbing, Mm -hmm. but I might like make base camp one the first night and remember I forgot my cell phone and have to go back to the car, like, you know, add a couple of days onto my excursion. The idea is that we are steadily moving forward um, and not staying still. So, you know, give yourself a break if you don't wake up tomorrow and feel wonderful, right? Mm. Um, Because you um, spent time processing, you know, pieces of your trauma. So we said in the first episode that we weren't going to talk about treatment. Um, I'm just going to adhere to that um, with regard to specifics. But I want to say, and I think this is, um, it's just another way that like God's design manifests, right? in the world around us, the way that we treat post-traumatic stress disorder as clinicians is through variations of exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're not, I'm not going to get into anything else around this. There's lots of different schools of thought, but it t- typically it's agreed upon what like every variation of this you use exposure is one of the key components mm-hmm. of therapies that work to treat post-traumatic stress. Um, at its foundation, that means appro- approaching your traumatic stress until you are no longer afraid of it. Yes. And that is the one thing we would like to avoid. Yeah. Right. God I mean, exposed me to a lot of that. I mean, it was all my <laughs> sanctification is like exposure therapy. Right. Like, like uh, that's right. all it is. And, so there, like the idea is you don't have to be afraid of this. You're right. Okay. You've already lived through it, whatever it is. And going back to the memory of the experience and standing in front of it until you no longer are being manipulated mm-hmm. by the experience itself, right? Mm-hmm. Is the only way truly to gain, pers- you know, going from freedom, going right? From disorder to order. Right. Kind of thing, so, you know? I, I, and hear what I'm saying like, Christ is the cure, right? Mm-hmm. Christ is who assigns meaning to the suffering. I feel so bad like, when I think about atheism. Um, you know, and don't get me wrong, like atheists are worshiping their own types of gods, right? But how scary and sad mm-hmm. when something awful happens, mm-hmm. how how much more devastating and lonely is a trauma when you don't have the hope of Christ, right? 
we we see it manifest in so kinds of you know like so many weird ways you walk into a bookstore if they still exist nowadays yeah and how many self-help books are on the shelf sure so this is our, a, a societal response to help yeah and we don't even know where to start there's so many authors that are nuancing everything yeah and then a, a, a scientific study that comes out that says maybe you shouldn't do this and so another author nuances that old virtue mm -hmm. right and propagates a new way of thinking and a new way of this but god has been consistent right. the whole time and it's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It starts with the gospel. Right. And what did it accomplish? We see the gospel sometimes, and this is our folly, especially in some circles uh, of theology, where the gospel or the cross, the atonement specifically, it's just a way of salvation. But it is actually effectual a, a and efficacious unto the heart in transformation by the grace that you receive from it. Right. It accomplishes something. Yes, it does make the way to God. It's a definitive way. Yes. And it brings you onto This is what we call effectual calling. It actually accomplished something. But that finished work actually transforms you. And sanctification is a slow process even yes. though sometimes you might be on a fast track to a certain point right or in like one area of your life you are like you're that like experience of sanctification feels really quick mm -hmm. you know like you're you grow up really quickly in this one area mm -hmm. and other areas just feel like oh this is so arduous like i'm trekking through sludge mud grime and everything right. else um and like that just seems to be the way of it right, right. and there's God's clearly got a purpose it in however you are experiencing exactly. your sanctification. And we want to form everything regarding these kinds of things in a mechanical way. You flip on a switch, it turns on, it gives you what you wanted. Sure. Or it does, you know, like the machine kind of thing. Uh, God, God is not a cog in a machine. Like you mean instant yeah. gratification. Instant gratification. Yeah. God is not a cog in a machine, and he's not the machine. He's God, creator of the universe, personal with his creation, yet he governs everything by his will and not yours. Mm -hmm. So you can't just turn him on. In fact, it's the other way around. Right. He turns, boom. Yeah. Um, and so, like, we love the Psalms, but we ought not to look at these promises in the Psalms as mechanical. So, bless the Lord, all my soul, forget not all of his benefits. That is prescriptive sure. right there. You need to not forget all of his benefits. But then that begs the question, what are all his benefits, right? Okay. Who forgives all your iniquity, and he does. Who heals all your diseases. Now, wait a minute. Let's stop here. <laughs> what do you mean? Because there's been people that have uh, uh, suffered uh, PTSD, and it's not gotten any better. Yes. You know? Right. Yes. Uh, what do you mean by this? Can he heal your PTSD? Oh, yes. Absolutely. In which way he does that right. is not formulaic uh, that you just say amen and it happens. Well, right. So, like, there, it, there isn't, like, you follow this, this equa like, equation. You said formulaic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, A plus B equals, equals C. C. That's not kind of at all it. No. Um, and it is, it's prideful. It's presumptuous to make that assumption, mm -hmm. right? Um, that if I do these things, then God is going to give me like this, this thing. Um, <clears throat> I think it's really important that, and I want, like, I started to make this, um, point before and then got distracted. So I apologize. Um, it's really important to note that just because 
someone is experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder does not mean that they're being sinful. Like, it isn't inherently sinful to be suffering from PTSD. What is sinful is when you refuse to get better. Exactly. Okay, and I will give you guys an example of this. I saw it frequently, and it surprised me. I wasn't expecting this to be a manifestation, but it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Um, so, um, we've talked about issues of identity right before another podcast. Oh yeah, other podcast. We had a whole. We had two episodes on it. <laughs> yeah, much to do about self. Right. I loved it. Um, when you let's say you are a service member. Yeah. You deploy uh, to a combat theater once, twice. I mean, depending on what era, you know, would help determine how many deployments also like your training and specialty what branch you're in um and you either separate on your own or retire um like your brother did at 20 years Mm -hmm. um your time in the military for whatever reason comes to an end okay Mm -hmm. so and this becomes a lot more prominent when that time is ended forcibly, like without the consent of the person. And what I mean by that is um, they're medically retired, right? Either for psych reasons or for physical, like physical injury, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's this lack of like consenting to that process. Um, So these guys and girls, when they separate from the military, like I said, by whatever, whatever means, um, very, very frequently experience identity crises. Um, who am I anymore? And the reason that that is so prominent in the military um, has a lot to do with the way that you are trained by the military. Um, you are essentially broken down and then restructured with a military-centric ideology, and that's important, okay? It's very important for your time in the military, right, so that you the 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 military functions the way that it needs to um but it's not super conducive to life in the civilian sector okay so this huge identity shift occurs right leaving the military for whatever reason Mm. okay now i like I start experiencing panic and anxiety. I'm having nightmares. I'm noticing that like I avoid going to crowded places. Loud noises make me startle startle really easily. I have trouble sleeping. So, you know, I go to therapy. There's lots of programs that the VA and the vet centers offer. Um, good, good stuff. Um, uh, and I, I get diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Now... I have to integrate that information somehow into mm-hmm. my identity going forward. And what I saw happen was person, certain certain individuals would get to a specific point in, in treatment, make just this amount of progress, mm. and then stop. Right. In the form of self-sabotage, right? Hmm. And it just, it took me like a lot of like processing and talking that through with supervisors to figure out that like this is a phenomenon that occurs because 
I mean, there's lots of motivators, but essentially my identity becomes, you know, combat veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever, just veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder. Maybe I didn't get traumatized in a combat theater. Maybe there was a training accident or something else happened, right? Military sexual assault. Um, And so the idea that like I could get better to the point that I no longer meet diagnostic criteria for post-traumatic stress is just as scary as staying psychologically impaired by your strange symptoms. isn't it um so that that is utterly sinful yeah i used to uh, say to a counselor of mine i was like uh, is it possible to mourn your ailment once it's gone oh yes or to fear that if you do get cured that you're missing something uh-huh because it is a part of you and you feel like it's yours. Well, and I think and it sheds light on how much of your attention is monopolized mm-hmm. by that specific thing. It's a, a, almost a defense mechanism. You know, you're like, I, if I get rid of this, I also get rid of some of the good stuff I like, you know, and that's what I thought, too, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people. Well, and uh, expectations are change will change. Exactly. Right. Yeah. People will expect more of me. One of the biggest lies that comedians suffer uh, under drug addiction is if I get sober, I, I won't be funny anymore. Oh, yeah. That so happens they, to musicians a lot. Yeah. Too. And musicians, artists, actors, mm-hmm. things like that all the time. That's one of those self-sabotaging things that I think that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But it like it is. But it is a fear that is vocalized frequently by in- individuals in those industries. Right. Mm-mm. One um, one promise or one th- uh, verse that I always go back to. Um, you mentioned uh, this kind of triggered the verse in my head um, that your tenure in the military will end right eventually and then sometimes now you're dwelling upon things that you didn't even have time to dwell upon because of that ending Uh, Ecclesiastes kind of speaks to beginnings and ends in chapter 7 and it says in the day of prosperity be joyful and in the day of adversity consider God has made one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it really speaks to the heart of beginnings and ends, really. And there's a deeper context in here, but let's go this route. You know that everything will have its end in one one case. And the totality of that is your life, with the, by the exception way. of God. With right. the exception of God, He is the beginning and the end. I yes, mean, just, he, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. Right. He declares what is the beginning. He declares what is the end. But it says in the day of prosperity, be joyful. So if you're mindful of Him, and everything's fine, you know, yeah. even if in the military tenure, yeah, be joyful. Mm-hmm. It's okay. But then there will be a day of adversity. It doesn't say. And just in case you right. have it, it right? It just says, in case, yeah. bring your raincoat. It also says that your joy is going to end and adversity will come. Right. But it well, also says that adversity will end and back the joy. Yeah. The only two things you can have. That whole, you know, parable, <laughs> not from scripture, but that that uh, fable of the this two shall pass. pass. Yes. You know? It's exactly what I was thinking right before mm-hmm. that. I go, this too shall pass. It will end. Right. So um, I love that you bring that up. Yeah. Because that's part of the problem. And one of the reasons that like when we've had traumatizing experiences, we um, 
we avoid it, right? Like we avoid processing or dealing with it because it feels really yucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're af- we're afraid, mm-hmm. right? We're afraid that if somehow we go near it, we won't be able to control it. It will overtake us, right. it'll overwhelm us, you know. Um, and that like, first of all, it's irrational, the fear, mm-hmm. right? The, truly it is. Yes. Um, and the only thing that we do in avoiding processing it is prolong the suffering of Mm -hmm. right so when i know that i'm being avoidant and that it is impacting me and i continue to be avoidant that is sinful yes right but having panic because you've been traumatized right that's not sin no it's not sin no but you're like god does not like the call is not to sit and stew in it and not not ever do anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, can is God capable of like you were saying miraculously alleviating all of your symptoms yeah. like in in a second? And, and we hear those stories and rejoice. Yeah, of yeah. course. Is that likely to happen to you? No, probably not. Yeah. No. So go see a therapist that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. That has some training in trauma. Yeah. Trauma focused care, right? Start with the church and then the avenues that lead from yeah. that too as well. It's why I would encourage more pastors to get involved in these kinds of... Well, and to get trained you know, in yeah. how to deal with trauma. Yeah. I want the church to completely take over all of this stuff, yeah, I mean, which, is my, which is my agenda really, but uh, you know, in behavior health and <laughs> okay. everything. I always said what Dr. White is to Greek, I really want to be to uh, to behavioral and social sciences. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. Good, I, I would love to debate guys from the APA. What a good goal. Yeah, 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 that'd be fun. Yeah, and uh, show that because there's nothing that we haven't addressed that the Bible hasn't addressed here. Sure. You know, the secular world will try to give you, you know, you know, right thoughts and healthy ways to live uh, under this ailment. So does the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and then it speaks to not ignoring the situation, but embracing it. And understanding that there's a purpose right. so uh, to it, which is you, more meaningful to me. We can just go ahead and like concede that we will suffer again. Mm-hmm. So when I operate with that understanding, then I don't have to be afraid of when it's coming. Mm-hmm. If it's coming. It is. Yes, it, it is. is. Inevitably. You don't know when. It, it is. It does say that it. Uh, you may not find out what comes after. But you know it will right. at some point. Okay. So now I don't have to be afraid of it. Yeah. Like I know it's coming, right? Yeah. And God has made both of them joy right. and adversity. Now, yeah. like I I can even go on the like offensive, right? And I can make sure that I'm in the word, make sure that I'm cultivating a healthy prayer life. The preemptive strike. Right. Exactly. Right. So that the next time that tragedy does strike... Mm-hmm. That stuff is reflexive because I've yeah. made good habits, exactly. right? Exactly. You're rearranging your thoughts. Right. And now, and here's the thing, um, and don't get me wrong, I a lot of people go, oh, you're depressed. Uh, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been praying? And yeah, that's like that. not what we're yeah, saying. Yeah, that's not what we're saying. <clears throat> uh, however, there is a point to praying and reading your Bible. Why? Because it does transform your mind. Yes, it does. And in, in, in the days of adversity, you already know that God is sovereign right. in there. 
and you go, okay, this is how to handle this kind right. of thing. Now when you that, le- lean into that truth, you actually feel God like leaning back against you. That takes tons of experience. <clears throat> that takes tons Practice. of sanctification. Practice. That takes tons of learning from other people who have right. suffered like you. This is why the church is so important right. and why young men need to be with older men and why older men need to invest in younger men right. um, and to teach them how to do these things and that we share in the faith of the go- uh, those who taught us that faith, the like-mindedness. This is why the connection... Well, shared common experience. Shared common experience is exactly uh, what the writer of Hebrews uh, is saying um, and uh, in uh, towards the end of the uh, the book is to share. And when we, when we mean by that is share in like-mindedness, mm-hmm. be in one mind. You know, you, you should be able to agree with your pastor on most things. Right. Uh, and what he's saying and exhorting you. If you find yourself you can't agree, then one or two things are happening. You're either wrong and you need to investigate that. Right. Or he's completely or he's wrong, wrong and you right. need to go find another church. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, talking it out uh, will will help you uh, right. in, in studying in the scripture and praying through uh, those situations. A lot of people do feel helpless in the church. They don't know my under, you know, they don't understand when I'm suffering. Uh, they can't speak to it. They just give me a psalm and a hug and send me on my way kind of thing. And that's not how the Bible tells you to handle any of this right. uh, stuff. Um, that's why that's really why I love this text uh, in there because it does show the sovereignty of God in both joy and adversity. And sometimes we want to avoid that latter part that God doesn't create adversity. Sure. And I go, no, he does. Right. And he says he does. Right. And he says he does it for your good, that he's right. got a good purpose. Right. And once you actually see past your cynical nature in that and, and, and look at the joys within that, you'll see how much you are actually formed to the image of Christ. And that, that one day there will only be joy. Right. And that is the resurrection of the dead, which is your ultimate hope, which is what the writer of Hebrews um, is saying in chapters 11. Uh, or no, a uh, chapter eleven by looking forward to that ultimate goal and establishing the faith in this generation for the generations to come that we may all partake in glory, uh, and from future generations to past generations, and, and it's 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 very it, it's so sanctifying right. to understand that your ultimate goal is glory. Right. Yeah. Um. Yes. So, um. Hope that was helpful. If you or somebody you know is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, don't suffer in silence. Please seek counsel. Seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of help available. Mm-hmm. Um, anxiety symptoms can be some of the most crippling, right. but they're also some of the most treatable, especially with regard to trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as they're related to trauma. Christians, expo- Christians don't, don't be afraid. If you think you have something uh, like this in your life or you know something like this in your life with God, he is present with you in these kinds of things and even speaking up on behalf of those who may be afraid. Sure. Right. Um, So, yeah, I hope that was helpful. Um, There's so much more to say just about trauma, um, you know, in general. But we'll do we'll do future episodes on that. And let us know if you guys are interested more interested in learning more about specific therapeutic techniques and approaches to some of this stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, Because we can definitely talk, we can do episodes on that. Um, So yeah, let us know what you're interested in and we so appreciate you guys, you know, like us, share us. 
Yes, I really want to boost up the iTunes ratings. Oh, yes. If you're on iTunes, comment. Leave leave us a review. Yeah, yeah, leave us a review, the five-star thing, whatever you want to do. Just do it. <laughs> and, yeah, just do it. <laughs> just do it. But we appreciate uh, you uh, even listening. We're getting a lot of engagement with you guys. And, yeah, you guys uh, are so much fun. Yeah, you're so much fun. And uh, hopefully we have uh, uh, more things to come for you. I, I don't think that we can exhaust yeah. behavioral health. There's so much to talk about. Right. And, and yeah, please keep sending us ideas. We really like that. Too. Yeah, we love you guys. And keep heart, even with ailments such as post-traumatic stress disorder and any other things that we talk about just keep heart that christ has conquered death and he has overcome the world thank you